Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. If you've had kids yourself, I wonder if you've ever had to read them the riot act. Stern words of warning before an important occasion. If you were watching the Royal Jubilee celebrations on TV, as of course countless millions were, you might have noticed that when it came to little Prince Louis, the warnings didn't work. In front of millions of people, he covered his ears in protest at the noise, he pulled faces at his mum, he poked out his tongue, he even pushed her away. Interesting, people noticed that at the next royal event, he wasn't even there. Royal exile, such a tender age. But you know, I imagine the moments before they stepped out on that balcony, the royal kids had been given a thorough briefing. How to be a proper royal great-grandchild. How to properly behave in public. How to respect your mother. How to respect the Queen. Now, I don't want to trivialise this with a poor example like that, but that, in a sense, is exactly where we find the people of Israel in the final chapters of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. That's where we'll be focused this morning in part two of our four-part Bible overview as we trace the story of the people of Israel, a people who we're going to see have got the most incredible invitation of all, invited to be the people of God and live in the promised land, in a sense, the Eden story all over again. We left the story last week, if you were here, back in Genesis chapter 12. Adam and Eve had been placed by God in the garden, connected with the source of life, with just one challenge. You remember the story? Don't grab for the knowledge of good and evil. Let God decide right from wrong instead of grasping for equality with him. And of course, because they ignore that, they find themselves in exile outside the garden, in a world of prickles and thorns, excluded from the tree of life. But then in Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, from you, I'm going to start again. From you, I'm going to build a nation of blessing. I'm going to put your people in a promised land and I'll be with them. So it's like Eden all over again. And he says, I'm going to give you my law so you'll know exactly how to serve me. You'll know how to do what is right and just and true. And through your offspring, he says to Abraham, I'm going to bring blessing to all the nations. Not just this nation that becomes Israel, but everywhere. So in summary, God is going to prepare a place for his people, a people who want to serve him from the heart. Here's how he puts it in Genesis 18, verse 18. 
Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he's promised him. And so as the story unfolds, by the end of the book of Genesis, they have multiplied into 12 growing tribes. But a famine means they've moved down to Egypt, which is nowhere near the promised land of Canaan, where they're meant to be. Which means, like at almost every other point in the story, trusting God's promises is going to be a challenge. In the final chapters of Genesis, so they've, they've come to Egypt for famine relief, famine relief, where they're saved by their brother Joseph, who they tried to kill because he was his dad's favourite. Famous Sunday school story. But then a few generations later, things turn sour. They're still in Egypt. The number of Israelites is growing. But of course, the Egyptians don't like it. The Israelites are breeding like rabbits and the Pharaoh says, it's got to stop. He says, look, we've got to do something about it. Or there'll be more and more of them. They'll buy the best real estate. They'll start putting up signs in Hebrew that we can't even read. They'll run all the media. There won't be any room on the beaches. They will take over. And so they put slave masters over the Israelites and they oppress them. And God seems to have forgotten all about his promises to bring blessing. But you turn to Exodus chapter 2 verse 24 and the truth is he hasn't forgotten at all. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Now notice again, there's our theme. God's covenant promises to Abraham. God has promised them a land of their own. He's promised to bring blessing to all the nations through them. So in Exodus, he grabs a man called Moses and he says, it's time to move. Now one Sunday a month, you'll remember, Phil Court is taking us through some of the high points of this Exodus story. And this is where it fits. God's people of promise so early in their history are going to be taken from slavery and led to the promised land of Canaan in the north. Which, of course, involves all those other great Sunday school stories. I assume quite a few of you have been to Sunday school in your youth, heard all these stories. Where do they fit? Well, you'll remember, Pharaoh refuses to let them go. And then the terrible plagues on Egypt until they're finally set free. Because God is keeping his promises to Abraham. These are a hugely privileged people. And yet as you follow through their story, always complaining. The desert's too sandy. My feet hurt. It's hot here. The kebabs were better back in Egypt. These are the people God chose and God saved. The question is, are they going to keep trusting him through the tough times or not? 
they're invited to a huge party. But in the end, are they really sure they want to be there? That's the question. Exodus chapter 19, they arrive at Mount Sinai and God is going to spell out for them a very clear choice. He's going to tell them what being his people is going to look like. Here is what they call the Sinai Covenant. Here is the contract between God and Israel spelt out in detail. And Exodus chapter 20 onwards, God spells out exactly how his people Israel are called to live. Page after page after page of rules and regulations and rituals and laws. Starting, of course, with the famous Ten Commandments, in verses 3 to 17 of Exodus chapter 20. The way God wants his rescued people Israel to behave. The sort of righteous people he wants them to be. And rule number one, the first commandment, most important of all, you see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. See that? No other gods. I saved you. I brought you out of Egypt. So don't wander off and worship anything else. I saved you to be mine. So be mine. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the big one. All the others follow from it. Rule number two, don't go making idols, not of me or anything else. Number three, don't misuse my name, honour it. Number four, every Saturday take a day off to honour me. Next, honour your mum and dad too. Next, don't kill people, you shall not murder. You've heard them before, I guess. No adultery in the promised land. No stealing. No lying. Don't be jealous of your neighbour's house or his wife or his servants or his donkey or anything else. Now, of course, those are the rules we know best. And a lot of them have made their way into law codes all over the planet. They make up, in a sense, the heart of what we call the Judeo-Christian ethic. Until recently they put them up on plaques in courthouses all over America. Although you will notice the key ones, like honouring God from the heart, like not coveting in your heart, you can't really legislate, can you? Which I suspect is where all the real problems come from. Now, what you may not know is that there are a whole lot of other laws as well. We're looking here at Israel's constitution. There are property laws, the justice system, all sorts of temple laws and sacrificial laws and purity laws and symbolic laws about not mixing fabrics to remind them they're not meant to mix religions as well. And to be honest, it can be terribly boring reading through those chapters. From here right through the book of Leviticus and Numbers 
I don't know that you're allowed to say what I just said in church, but it is. So many rules. God's laws for his nation of Israel. Starting with that big one, no other gods but me. Don't carve things out of wood and worship them. Don't look up at the stars and worship them. Don't hook up with the gods of the nations around you and worship them. Just me. It's the heart of famous Jewish monotheism. One God, one only. Now, you might be glad to know this morning we're going to skip straight over the rest of Exodus and all the rules and laws for sacrifices in Leviticus and Numbers and head right to the border of the Promised Land. This is where Moses, their leader, reads them the riot act, exactly like a royal kid about to step out on the balcony. Because this is important. And if they don't want to live like God's people, there will be consequences. On the edge of the promised land, Moses reminds them of the story of what God's done for them already and then spells out the two big options that lie before them. Turning to Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30, where Moses is wrapping up a very big speech. And he says to them, God has chosen you to be his people. The big question is, are you going to take him as your God? Because you see, this is no small thing. He says, here is where you make up your minds. And don't think for a moment that if you go chasing after idols that you've seen in the other lands around you, that everything's going to be okay. Because it won't be okay at all. These Israelites shouldn't think they can fool around a bit on the side and think they can still have the promised land. They shouldn't think that they can chase after other gods and still live as the people of the one true God. So here is Moses setting them straight. And in the end, it's useful to pick this up because in a sense, a little passage here becomes a summary of the rest of the Bible story. The end of Deuteronomy chapter 29, God says, cast your minds forward. He says there are two ways this story can pan out. He says, imagine for a moment that one day the promised land is desolate. Imagine there'll be people walking past the smoking ruins of your cities and shaking their heads and saying, what on earth happened here? He says, if it ever comes to that, this will be the answer. We're going to pick up in Deuteronomy 29, verse 25. If it's all in ruins and people are saying, why has this happened? Here is the answer. It's because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord that he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them. Gods they did not know. Gods he had not given them. Therefore, 
the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. See, that is the potential future they're facing. Before they even set one foot in the land, that's the choice. Life or death. Blessing or curse. Which will it be? How's the story going to pan out? Now, as I said, we won't spoil the ending by going there today. But if you are looking at the way the Bible is put together in a literary way, what you've got in this little slice of Deuteronomy is in a sense a perfect summary of the way the Old Testament story unfolds. The end of Deuteronomy chapter 29 into the first few verses of chapter 30, it's like the table of contents for everything else that's about to unfold. They are going to be given the promised land, as sure as can be, which you can read about in the book of Joshua, where he fights the Battle of Jericho that we heard about earlier. But we'll always know that God said, if you rebel, you'll be thrown out again. So as we keep reading the book of Judges and then one kings and two kings, That's the question we will always have in mind as intelligent readers. Will they or won't they honour God? From the technical point of view of narrative analysis, that's the way the plot line keeps the reader in suspense. But I want you to notice that even then, even in the worst case scenario, even if the people of Israel are thrown out of the land, that won't be the end of the story. Which is where we pick up the thread again in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1. Because even if everything in the promised land is crushed, even when everything in the promised land is crushed, there'll always be room for a comeback. The only thing is, they'll have to want it right from the heart. In other words, there will have to be real repentance. Now these are key verses. Deuteronomy 30 from verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come upon you and you take them to heart... Wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, And there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. And it goes further. Turn back to him like that 
and he will even change your hearts. Which, of course, is exactly what Israel needs. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you'll take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Which leaves, I guess, even more unanswered questions, more suspense. If Israel ever is thrown out of the land, and if you were here last week, you already know that they will be, will they ever turn back heart and soul to God or not? Will there ever be even one Israelite who'll do that? Will their hearts ever be changed like that so they will actually want to do what God wants? All their hearts remain hard. Now those are the big questions behind the story of the Bible as it gradually unfolds. And big questions as well behind the story of us. As we pause at this point and leave it there for this week, I do want to leave you with a thought. And that is, in spite of the fact that Prince Louis was no doubt told the rules before he stepped out on the royal balcony, no doubt he was read the riot act about the right way to behave, his mum and dad's love for him didn't actually waver, did it? And I suspect he didn't end up in a cell in the Tower of London because there is always the option of second chances which God in the Bible story seems to specialise in too. Out of man's original rebellion, promises of blessing, Genesis 12. Even as Moses reads Israel the riot act in Deuteronomy 29, the promise of a future comeback and new hearts a few verses later which is a story that flows all the way through the Bible's plot line to the story of Jesus in the New Testament, where he is the one, of course, calling on the nation of Israel to take up the offer and to turn back to God with all their hearts as he opens up the way and by the Spirit offers both forgiveness and new hearts to anyone Israelite or otherwise. I may have mentioned before when I was a kid, my dad used to say to me, and it stuck, he'd say, just remember, whatever you do, whatever mistakes you make, whatever you do wrong, you can always come home again. And I'd say to him, even if I do something so bad I have to go to jail? And he'd say, yep. Even if you go to jail, you can always come home afterwards. Now, look, as it turns out, I didn't end up going to jail. But I always remembered. Home was always an option, a safe place, 
which I think in the days before parenting books, before all the, the blogs and the experts, I think it was actually pretty good parenting by my old farmer dad. It's similar to the story Jesus tells of the runaway son. We looked at it earlier this year. Of that son who squandered everything, who Jim read about for us. Found himself in exile in a far off land and then realised he could come back again and ask his dad's forgiveness which was freely given. Now, friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that is the paradigm, that is the pattern that hangs over the whole story of the Bible, that extends its way right through to the story of you. If you've been someone who's ignored all the rules, or even just some of them, If you think in your heart you are not really good enough and there's no way back, the offer is always open. And it's extended to you by Jesus himself. Come to me, he says, and I'll give you rest. Follow me and I'll show you the way home and even change your heart with my spirit. Now that's a little glimpse at where the Bible's big story is heading. For now we're leaving Israel on the brink of the promised land, ready to go in, with a choice, with consequences, with the potential for blessing in the land or for exile far away. But either way, always with that further promise that whenever their hearts turn back there will be a father waiting to say welcome home you've been listening to Scott's cast the bible teaching podcast of Scott's church melbourne